Matthew chapter 6, verse number 19. If you're there, say amen. amen. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Verse 24, no man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on, is not the life more than the meat, and the body than raiment. I love this. Behold the fowls of the air. For they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much better than them? He said, which one of you, by taking thought or by worrying about it, could add one cubit to your stature? Your problems may seem like they're big, but worrying doesn't make you any bigger. He said, why do you take thought for your raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil, not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow is cast in the oven... Shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Wherewith shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows... I wish you'd read this with me in your heart right now. Your heavenly Father knows that you have need. He knows. But seek ye first. The kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you I want to draw our text today from verse 21 and verse 33 for where your treasure is there will your heart be also but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. I want to ask you a question this morning. Where will you build your life? Where will you build your life? You may be seated in the precious name of Jesus. This is one of the most powerful chapters in your entire New Testament. When it shows to us the value that the Lord puts in his children. 
he lets us know in his own way of preaching that you literally have nothing in this world to worry about. That although at times worry feels so justified, it feels as though that if we don't worry about it, then it's never going to get better. But the truth is, it doesn't get any better if we do worry about it. My natural proclivity is to worry. However, my wife has looked at me in times in my life, in our marriage, and said, does this not bother you? Are you not worried? And of course, in my manly way, I let her know I'm not worried at all. Yet in my heart, I have that natural propensity to worry. I don't think there's a person in this world that has ever lived a full life without worry. The crazy thing about worry is that while you're doing it, it's almost like it feels good. It's almost like it makes what's really happening feel better if you acknowledge how bad it is. There's some kind of strength that we find in ourselves in worrying about the morrow. I know I've read this whole book. I go through the Bible at least once every year. And I've read it cover to cover. And I'm going to tell you something that I've read in this Bible. I've read it probably hundreds of times in my life. I know what the end of the story looks like. I know who wins when it's all said and done. But in my flesh, I still get worried about what this picture is going to look like in the end time. Just being honest. What if we have to endure? What if there is some tribulation that we have to endure? What if all of us that have preached a pre-trib rapture have been nothing but hopeful? And what if we have to endure some kind of tribulation? Well, I don't want to destroy any hopes and dreams of all of the deep theologians and eschatologists in the house today. But I want to tell you that the book of Revelation is not at all about the timeline, the revelation of the timeline of the coming of the Lord. That's where we always look at it. And we're like, well, I think it's going to be here because Revelation says this and Revelation says that. The book of Revelation is not the revelation of the timeline. The book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. There are types and shadows and timelines that are mentioned. But this is what you see rise to the surface of all of it. It don't matter who the Antichrist is, where the Antichrist comes from, when the rapture happens, at the end of the day, it's Jesus. Jesus is the one that's standing. Job had this same revelation when he went through hell on earth and lost everything that he had. At the end of it all, he said, I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. I've come to tell you, it doesn't matter how much trouble you got. I know who's going to be standing at the end of the day.
Jesus said, I want you to pull out your notebook and start taking notes. I want you to take note of something. He said, I want you to look around at the fowls of the air. They're not storing up. They're not laying up. The only treasure they got is they wake up and they start singing. You know, birds don't have bad days. You ever seen a bird get mad and just quit singing? I'm not going to give God praise today because I'm not happy. The fruit that I like to eat is out of season, so I'm not going to sing. Birds don't have bad days. They sing when it's raining. A rooster don't just wake up because it's gray one morning and say, I'm not going to make any sounds this morning. I don't want to be here. I don't like being here. You know why? Because nature shows us. He's worthy regardless of what's happening. It, it, it don't matter. He said, I want you to look at the fowl of the air. The fowl of the air. You can take some notes off the fowl of the air. Pretty incredible. They don't sow. They don't reap. They don't gather into barns. Somebody's taking care of them. God's taking care of your heavenly father. I love the way he says this. Your heavenly father. Why does that matter? Because he's mine. I am my beloved's, and he is mine. His banner over me is love. Yeah, but pastor, some, somebody's got to worry. You know what? The Lord has several mascots that take care of that. Everybody, every, every family that's represented in here has the mascot family worrier. They're going to worry. I'm telling you. Some of y'all are thinking right now, you've already got them identified. You got it taken care of. I look over at my wife every now and then. She's all wrinkled, wrinkled up between her eyes. I'm like, what are you worried about? Worried? I'm not worried at all. Then relax your forehead. Lord, I hope I don't cause a divorce right here. But my dad, I'll say, what, what's wrong with mom? Well, son, you know how your mom is. Uh, dad, I'm not sure I understand. What, what do you mean? Could you go into this a little bit more? Well... She's her daddy's daughter, just like her great-grandmother, Francis. She's a worrier. It happens. But he said, I want you to look at the fowl of the air. They don't worry. And your father takes care of them. He said, which one of you, by worrying about it, could add a cubit? To your stature. There is nothing you can do to get any bigger. Oh Lord, if I had time right here, I'd stay for a while. What is he saying? Why does it even matter that he would say you can't add height to yourself? Why does that even matter? Because this is what he wants you to know. You're never getting bigger. What's, where's the roots of this? Where's it come from? What's this matter? This is exactly why David said, oh magnify the Lord. 
Because no matter what kind of trouble you have, you're never going to get bigger. But if we can learn to magnify Well, it don't matter how much magnifying I do. My mountain's still big. The size of the mountain is not going to change. But when you magnify the Lord bigger than the mountain that's in front of you, it changes everything. So for all of the warriors in the house today, I want to just say to all of you precious warriors in the house, if you don't mind at all, consider the lilies. Think about them, he said. Consider the lilies. How they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. Yet I say to you that Solomon, the wealthiest man in the world, the wisest man in the world, had need of nothing except for maybe peace of mind with 700 wives. I don't know. You'd surely find one in a good mood somewhere. What do you think? You are king of the province? He said, I want you to look at Solomon. You know what he had. You know everything that he had. He was wealthy. His temple, everything that's here, it was erected because of everything that Solomon had. He said, but even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like the lilies of the field. Ah, this is foolishness. I want to worry. It does feel good. But I want to say this. Worrying doesn't get near as much done as seeking first the kingdom. You can worry all you want to, and worry don't fix it. But I want to tell you what starts changing things. The dynamic starts looking different. Your whole world starts changing when you wake up and quit telling God how big your mountain is. And you wake up and start looking at your mountain and telling your mountain how big your God is. I'm not talking about waking up and telling God how much trouble you've been in. I'm talking about waking up and looking at your trouble and saying, you have messed with the wrong man because my father is taking care of me. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added. I've heard people preach this for prosperity doctrine, and I'm sorry, it just doesn't fit. He's not talking about all the things you want. He's talking about all the things that you need. That if you'll seek first the kingdom of God, he's going to take care of you. Now, can I just preach to you for a few minutes this morning? And I want to make something crystal clear to you today. I'm not here today to preach to you some kind of Pentecostal rhetoric. I'm here to preach to you the word of God. Jesus did not say, at your convenience, seek the Lord. Jesus did not say, when it's over, seek the Lord. He said, seek first. Now, I'm going to tell you, 
I was in a conversation with a pastor recently. We were sharing battle scars and wounds. And he said, you know, bro, he said, pastoring is different in this day and time that we live in. He said, it's absolutely a different animal. Because now it seems like all of the meetings that we have are the people informing us of what they've done. Now, if you know me, you know I'm not a micromanager. But I wish I had a dollar for every time somebody said to me, Pastor, I wish I would have came to you first. I wish I would have sought some counsel first. I wish I would have sought the Lord first. When you live your life in a way that you're making decisions for your future and for your children and for your family and God and the kingdom of God is the last thing that you approach. You are absolutely making decisions in the wrong priority. The kingdom of God, I know this is a foreign concept and I know people think that preachers Preachers are trying to build their own kingdom when they preach this. He didn't say, seek first the kingdom of your pastor. He said, seek first the kingdom of God. And I'm going to tell you this. This society doesn't seek God first for anything. Nothing. There's nothing. The biggest and greatest idolatry in this nation and in this world today is self. I want what makes me happy. I want what makes me smile. I don't care if it hurts everybody in my family. I don't care if it hurts my wife. I don't care if it hurts my husband. I don't care if it hurts my parents. I want what makes me happy. He didn't say seek first what makes you happy. He said seek first the kingdom of God. And I'm going to tell you something I found. This is a voice of experience. I'm not saying this and God don't give me a bonus to make him look good. I don't have to prop God up. I'm going to tell you this today. The more you seek him, the happier it makes you. If you want something that will make you happy, you start bringing God into every conversation that you have. God, what would you have me do? What's the will of God for my life? Where would you have me put my feet? You're going to spend a lot less time in recovery mode and a lot more time living in victory. Very seldom anymore do we counsel people on what their future is going to look like based on the decisions they're going to make. We spend a lot of time counseling people now on what their future is going to look like because of the decisions they've made. And I got this little line. If you've ever heard this line, then you've been in office for one of these meetings. When I say that this meeting is not about communication, this meeting is about information. Because you're just here to let me know what you've decided. Woo-wee. I've told this story before, and I think it's amazing. It's one of the greatest stories I've ever heard. And it's because... Nobody can get mad at me. I didn't say it. But Bishop Golder in Indianapolis had, a, had a, a, a married couple come to his office for counseling. And uh, I guess Mama Bear was pretty fired up. 
And so as soon as they walked in and sat down, Bishop Golder said, what can I do for you? They sat down in the chair, and she started letting him know how terrible the marriage was, I guess. I don't know. I wasn't there. They said, Bishop Golder kind of interrupted her, and he said, have you guys prayed about this? She said, no, sir. He said, then both of you get up and walk down that hallway and go to the prayer room and don't come back in my office until you've both prayed an hour about this. I said, God, give me the boldness of Morris Golder. Can I be like really transparent right here and y'all not think I'm being mean? Those kind of conversations run people off now. It does. It makes people uncomfortable when God is introduced into the reality. Do you know why Bishop Golder was so hard set on them praying for at least an hour before they came back? Because it's 100% biblical. Seek first the kingdom of God. Well, I need a psychologist. You know, I found out this week that there is now an ongoing thing. Talking to a a, a man who has a family member who is a doctor of psychology. He said to me, he said, bro, he said, psychology has become such a big deal that now psychologists are hiring full-time psychologists to counsel them because they've been psychologizing everybody else. He said, my family member has to get counseling because they've been counseling so much. And I was like, I see the trap. You do, you do know the end time, the Bible said that one of the greatest things the enemy's going to do is try to wear out the saints. Now, I'm going to get down where you're living right here. Some of you may have to shift back and forth a little bit because I'm going to get you a little uncomfortable. It's one thing to just get worried about what's going on in your life, but how many nights have you been up recently worried about something that's not even yours? Something somebody else did. You didn't have nothing to do with it. Not your family. If it is your family, you can't fix them or you'd have had it fixed a long time ago. And you lay there in bed and you think, oh God, what are they going to do? What are they going to do? What are they going to do? I want to tell you folks, you can't drive everybody else's car. Well, I'm here to release some people in the Holy Ghost this morning. I'm telling you, it's time to go into this holiday season with the joy of the Lord restored in your life. It is time to go into the holiday season with the joy of the Lord in your spirit, the joy of the Lord. I wish somebody would leave here today praying this prayer. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. I walked into this city. My wife and I and two youngest were gone for one week. I walked into this city. We came straight to the banquet and then I came straight to the church. And I felt such a dark cloud. I was like, Lord, it's the most wonderful time of the year. And I felt such a dark cloud hanging. And I was like, ooh, what is that that I'm feeling? Is that, is that just the darkness of sin? 
And the Lord began to deal with me. He said, it's the heaviness that's on my people. And he said, it's self-inflicted. This is not a work of the enemy. He said, the enemy got it started and they bought it. Woo. I could, I could preach something pretty to you today and get you out of here in 20 minutes. But I've come to set somebody free with the word of God this morning. I've come to preach to you a word that he has anointed me this morning to preach the gospel that will bind up the brokenhearted, that will set at liberty them that are bruised. I'm here to preach the acceptable year of the Lord this morning that somebody is walking out from underneath that cloud. Not tomorrow, not after Christmas, not in the new year, but right here in this house this morning. Before you leave here, the Holy Ghost wants to set you free. So the Lord is calling us for a shift of direction. And I'm going to say this to you this morning. I'm, I'm not here to be a parent to you, but I'm going to stand on the wall and be a shepherd to you. And I'm going to tell you that the more you continue to dwell and hang with the things and the people that make you think and feel that way, the longer you're going to feel exactly the way that you feel. At some point in your life, there really comes a time, and I wish, I wish it wasn't this way, but there comes a time in your life that you have to look at some people and say, you do you. That don't sound merciful, Pastor. I'm going to tell you some of the greatest mercy you could ever have. Because as long as you're with some people, they think that you're agreeing with them. Can I preach real this morning? I could, I could scream this till I spit to the fifth row, and some of you may miss what I'm saying this morning. You've got to be able to free yourself to a place that you can serve the Lord and actively, I'm talking about actively, every day of your life, pursue God with something other than just the trouble that you're facing. I'm not talking about abandoning your wife, saying to your wife, well, I'll tell you that old, if that joker just shut her mouth, I, I wouldn't have, no, 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 you need to get your marriage healed. I'm talking about, I'm talking about the people, oh Lord, help me to say this in a way you want me to. I'm talking about the people that are adding no value, but they're constantly draining virtue. You know, there's going to be a wrestling match you're going to have in your life at some point. And I'm sad to say, but you're, you're either going to win or you're going to lose. And the wrestling match is that you're, you're going to come to the conclusion. It's an old song we used to sing, but you're going, you're going to come to this conclusion at some point in your life. Above all else, I, everybody say I, I. must be saved. Yeah, but, 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 but they, they, what, what about them? If I, don't, if I don't reach them, listen, they know where you are. They know where to find you. If you're faithful to God and you're here every time the doors are open, they know when they come here, they're going to find you here. If you're faithful to the kingdom of God, they know. I'm not saying don't reach out. I'm not saying don't text. 
I'm not saying don't love. I'm not saying don't call. I'm saying that we've got to learn to guard our emotions and guard our virtue. If we're going to do something for God, we cannot live our lives constantly drained of all the virtue that we have because of somebody else's drama. Above all else, I must. I had a conversation one night in the uh, in his bishop's office now in the, in the old building, and I sat with a man who was a backslider, and he had come to the Lord and left, and come to the Lord and left, come to the Lord and left, and we sat at the table, and I said it with love, and he understood it, he completely got it, and he told me sitting there at the table, he said, this is the last time I'm ever going to do this to God, I'm coming home, and I'm going to live for God, I'm going to live for God the best that I ever had, and I looked at him with love and compassion in my eyes and in my voice, and I said, bro, let me tell you something, I love you. I said, but this commitment that you're making, you're not making this to me, you're making this to God. And I said, if you choose to walk away from the Lord after this meeting tonight, I said, I want you to understand, I won't be chasing you. He looked at me kind of funny. I said, you know where I'm gonna be. You know where you can find me. I will never stop praying for you. I will never stop calling your name before God, but I'm not going to chase somebody that doesn't want to love him more than they want to love the things of this world. Oh, God, help me this morning. I know somebody, somebody probably thinks I'm being mean today, but I'm here, to, I'm here to get some stuff off of your shoulders today. The Bible said to lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us that you may run with patience the race that is set before us. Notice this, looking unto Jesus who is the author and the finisher of our faith. It is not the will of God for you to be exhausted all the time. It is not the will of God for you to be drained all the time. It is the will of God for you to come to the house of God and let his spirit fill you up and go to that prayer closet every day and get full of the Holy Ghost every day of your life. Well, Pastor, you're going to have problems, and I couldn't agree more. We are going to have problems, and I get sick of the fake doctrine that people preach that living for God is a life without problems. That's life from the pits of hell. That is not true. But I will tell you what Paul said. He said, I've been persecuted, but I'm not abandoned. He said, I've been struck down, but I am not destroyed. He said, I've had questions and I've been perplexed, but he said, God has not forsaken me. Look, we got to wake up and realize this. There's going to be troubles. The Bible said that life is short and it's full of trouble. But let me tell you what else it can be full of. It can be full of victory. It can be full of power. It can be full of authority. You can live in victory today. None of these things Move me. They don't move me. You mean they don't move me? It means when it's bad, I'm in church. That means when my life is hard, I'm a prayer meeting. That means when the sun's shining, I'm there every time the doors are open. That means when my family's all good, I'm there every time the doors are open. When me and my wife are fussing, I'm there every time the doors are open. I'm not going to quit doing what gives me strength so that I can help somebody else drain virtue. Well, you can be seated. 
Jesus guarded his virtue so closely. When he walked through the crowd and the woman reached out and touched him, he said, I felt it leave. And you look at that and say, well, he was just healing her. No, I'm going to tell you what Jesus was doing. He was guarding his virtue reservoir. When you have all power in heaven and earth, but you still walk past some sick people. Woo, that's, God have mercy. He had all power in heaven and earth, but some people died sick. Why did they die sick? Because he asked hard questions like, will thou be made whole? Jesus knew how to ask the right questions. Do you want to be over this? How long have you been here? 38 years. Do you want to get up? Yeah, but I don't have anybody to put me in the water. He said, no, I didn't ask about it. Put you in the water. He said, do you want this? Do you want to be made free? Are you tired of carrying that weight? Do you believe that I can? God have mercy. Sometimes my faith can be obfuscated because of negative people always telling me how bad God's been to them. Anybody in here ever heard Misery Loves Company? Woo! I know some of you, you're related to the company, you know. Misery loves company. But so does his presence where two or three are gathered. In my name. Touching anything on earth. God have mercy. So here's the principle. We're going to have to pick where we're going to build first. Where, where am I going to build my life? What matters the most to me. The Lord said in Matthew 7, verse 24, he said, therefore, whoever hears the words that I'm saying and does them is going to be like a man who built his house upon the rock. He said, but anybody that hears what I'm saying and they don't do what I'm saying, He's like a man that built his house on the sand. Well, I'll build my house where I want to. That's okay. He said, but when the wind comes and the storm comes and the rains fall, he said, the man that built his house upon the sand, it was washed away. But the man that built his house on the rock, oh, this is too simple for some folks. The man that built his house upon the rock, he said the wind came, the storm came, the rain fell, and after this is so powerful, where you build your house determines your position after the storm. He said when the storm was over, one man's house was in pieces and the other man's house was still on the rock. When you seek first the kingdom of God and you build your life on the solid rock, I want you to understand there is no storm, there is no wind, there is no rain that can tear down the house that you're building. 
Oh, God, let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. Pastor, I feel like I'm constantly rebuilding. Can I admonish you in the Holy Ghost today? You're on the wrong foundation. I feel like it's always falling apart. You're on the wrong foundation. The man that built his house on the rock. Still standing. After. Somebody say after. After. There's an obscure little passage that's found in the book of Acts. It's literally written one time, one single time in all of the Bible. And it's this little phrase. We went Sabbath day's journey. Like when you read that, it's kind of like, okay, whatever. Why does it matter that it was a Sabbath day's journey? I was reading an article this week. Very cool. Um, I don't even know if I can find I had it. I had to pull up. In Timrat. Here it is. In Timrat. They found a boundary marker near Galilee in the community of Timrat. It had three faint letters on it in Hebrew spelling the word Sabbath or Shabbat. They confirmed the date to be from the Roman Byzantine period. It was the stone that they used as a Sabbath marker. This Sabbath marker is, in Exodus, it's established as approximately a thousand foot paces or 2,000 cubit feet, 2,000 cubits. And it was the, the, the beginning measuring mark. But the idea of it was that everything you did in your life had to be within boundaries. And so from the temple or from the synagogue, wherever you were, of course, this was in Galilee, so it would have been based on a synagogue. From the synagogue to where you worshiped, there was boundaries in your life that on the Sabbath, you could not go any further than this boundary. So you built your home and you built your life within that boundary so that on the Sabbath day you could walk to the house of God. The boundary did not start with their job. For the sake of conversation, we're just going to call it the Sabbath stake, Sabbath marker, the Sabbath fence post. It's a marker. And started the measurement of that marker from the house of the Lord. They didn't start it from the measurement of their job interview. They said everything that we do in our lives is going to be built on the house of God first. You do understand this was established even in the Old Testament in the wilderness that every single tribe, although if you were to take a drone up and take a shot of it, the tribe, the 12 tribes are laid out. Everything in the tribes was laid out in the shape of a cross, just like it was inside the tabernacle. All of the tribes were set in the shape of a cross. But every single family of every single tribe had to have their tent doors positioned 
that when they opened the flap of their tent, they were facing the tabernacle. When they opened up the door, the first thing they saw was kingdom. When they opened up the door, the first thing they saw was his presence. When they opened up the door, the first thing they saw was the house of sacrifice. I want to tell you something, precious family. You can build your life and place all the boundaries in your life based on your career. But there's going to come a time in your life that that career is going to let you down. I don't care how good your job is. You're going, you're going to get let down. You can build your hopes on things that are temporal. And you're going to get a temporal reward. But when you build your hopes on things that are eternal, you're going to receive an eternal reward. I have never seen anything quite like what we're facing today. But it really does seem that God is somewhere third, fourth, or towards the bottom of the list on the conversations that we have. I'll take this job if it means more pay. I'll take this job if it means more time off. But what does this job mean about being faithful to the house of God? Can I just tell you how I was raised today? And I'm not here preaching at anybody, but I'm going to tell you how I was raised. My mom and dad told me, they said, son, go to that job interview. Go get the job. You need to work. If a man don't work, a man don't eat. If a man don't provide for his family, he's worse than an infidel. That's what I was taught. You're going to work. But my mom and dad said, when you talk to that manager, you let them know because you represent this church, you're a musician, you tell them, I don't work on Sundays and I don't work on Wednesdays. I said, Dad, what if he don't hire me? He said, then you don't need the job. Well, I just think that's foolish. You got to have the job. Listen, above all else. I must. Woo! He said, that Sabbath day's journey is so close that your kids never have to wonder where the house of God is. It's so close that your family never has to wonder, how do we get there from here? I'm just wondering today if some of us have built our lives so far away from the kingdom of God that our kids are confused on how to get here. My kids don't even want to worship. Do they know how? My kids don't even want to pray. Do they know how? I want the pathway to be so clear from my front door that my kids know how to find the kingdom. You hear me today? I'm not here to preach anything to you but the word of God. It is the will of God us to build our lives in the direction of the kingdom. It is the will of God for us to build our lives towards the house of God. I know people say it's over the top, you guys whatever, you just think it's too much. Look, no, no, I'm telling you, you mark, you mark this down, I'm saying it prophetically, there will come a day that we're going to need this church seven days a week. You're going to need this church. 
seven days a week. There's going to come a time in your life, and we've already been through it once in 2020, where you wished every single day of your life I could be in the house of the Lord. Come on, somebody, be honest. I'm going to tell you, I had a conversation recently with a man. He said to me, he said, Pastor, I'm going to brag on you church people. He said, Pastor, I've never been to a church like this. He said, me and my wife have already started the conversations. He said, I, I know there's some crazy things in, in the economy and housing and all that. He said, so we got our eyes on it. He said, he said but Pastor, I'm going to tell you something. He said, me and my wife have already decided we live too far from the church. He said, we're in talks right now of what we're going to have to do to get everything in alignment. He said, we're going to sell our house. And we're going to move closer to the house of God. He said, I want my great-grandchildren to be close to the church. Listen, God's blessed this church with regional influence, and I thank the Lord for it. But understand what I'm saying in this type of shadow. We ought not be so far from the church that our kids don't even know how to catch a bus to get here. We need to be close enough in our hearts and in our minds that whenever our kids are in trouble, they know where they can run. It's a little heavy in here this morning. I've come to preach to you some things, and you know what? It may make some of you mad at me, and I'm okay with that. Because I'd rather stand before God and tell him I preach to them to seek first the kingdom of God and it made them mad then I would to stand before God and say Lord I tried to make them happy and him say yes and they died lost I'm going to tell you folks I'd do whatever I had to do to build my life around the kingdom of God around the family of God you don't need that much church pastor I do I do I need to be in this building every day of my life seeking the Lord. If I'm in town, I need to be in this building. And the will of God for this church is for us to get to the place where every single day there is active prayer in this building from sunrise, sunset, middle of the night, people working different shifts. This church is going to be the house of... God, we need you this morning. We hunger for you, Lord, above all else. God, if I'm building my life in any other place than the place that most is accessible to your kingdom, I'm asking you to forgive me today. I want my life to be built around the kingdom of God. I want my life to be built on the solid rock of ages. I want my children to know how to find the house of God. Lord, if I have the best paying job that I've ever had, and I have all the security that this world could offer, but I don't have uh, the, the, the church and the kingdom of God around my family, I'm asking you, God, to forgive me. I pray that your spirit that has moved on my heart would now move today in this congregation on the hearts and lives of people that have gathered here to hear your word preached this morning. And I pray that sweet conviction would rest on every soul. 
I bind every spirit of condemnation and shame right now. And I release the kindness of God in this house. For it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. I pray in the name of Jesus that every heart would be sealed by the word of God today. Lord, as we open up these altars, I pray that your spirit would call for the hearts and lives of people who want to build their life on the kingdom of God. They want to build their hearts on the kingdom of God. They want to build their families on the kingdom of God. In the name of Jesus, church family altars are open today. If you want to move God back in the first position in your life, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. These altars are open. God, I want to build my life where every time we open the door of our house, the first thing my children see is the kingdom of God. I want my marriage to see the kingdom of God. I want my family to see the kingdom of God. Help us today, Lord. The word has been given today. Who's going to respond? Brother St. Clair, I'm not sure that I'm ready for that kind of commitment. I want to tell you today, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to be heavy with my hand, but I'm going to tell you, if God's not first in your life, then he's last. If he's not Lord of everything in your life, he's not Lord of anything.